Hey guys, what's up? This is Chris Chavez, co-host of History Creeps, Hardly Kayfabe, and Chris and Anthony Just Can't Stop. Normally, you'd hear a bumper for the network right about now. Instead, I wanted to take a moment to ask a favor. If you've ever listened to many of our shows on the network, you've heard us talk about a place that has quickly established itself as a staple of downtown Buffalo over the past couple of years. Mizuta Chow's is a Japanese-themed bar-slash-restaurant-slash-retro-80s arcade that features amazing Japanese-inspired street food, top-shelf drinks, and a glittery pink staircase that has become one of Buffalo's most popular Instagram selfie destinations. Like many other establishments around the country, Mizuta Chow's was forced to shut their doors and lay off their staff when the COVID pandemic hit. At first, they didn't let that stop them from helping the community. For weeks, Johnny Chow and his partner Christy, along with a number of other Chow's employees, worked to feed essential workers on the front lines treating those affected by the virus. They organized pop-up drive through grocery supply stores for anyone who needed essential items. The crew at Mizuta Chow's has worked tirelessly to support the community during this rough time. Now, we here at the network want to help show our appreciation for an establishment that has proven what it means to be a neighbor in the 716. Recently, a GoFundMe was set up to try to raise money to help Mizuta Chow's pay employees, bills, and ensure that when it's safe to, they can open their doors to the good people of Buffalo and Western New York. I know things are rough everywhere, but if you are able to, please consider donating to the Mizuta Chow's Relief Fund on GoFundMe. Every bit helps. You can also find a link at BICBP-radio.com. Thanks for listening and supporting the network. Now on with your show. Podcasters, a network D&D adventure. Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Podcasters. I am your host for today, uh, Dungeon Master Anthony, currently taking over the reins for this episode. And as you can tell, we are not running a campaign today. It is currently on hiatus, the mains campaign and the journey into Dustin. I personally am thinking that I don't want to have to put it on hold, but until the social distancing and uh, we're able to get together in person uh, is able to, we're able to resume. So until that happens, we're, I'm going to have to put the journey into Dustin really, I think on a permanent hiatus until we can get everyone together. Uh, if you've been listening in, you can tell that I have my, I have uh, some family members and I got some friends that are not exactly super tech savvy with logging into D&D Beyond and knowing how to run the game. So trying to run something digital or through Roll20 with everyone, I think would be, it would be, it would be hard enough doing it with players that play with Roll20 and use Discord, let alone trying to run it with people that are not familiar with it. It probably won't be the best flow. I know uh, the episodes are kind of chaotic when I have the crew regardless and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a little something for you guys, and we're gonna try not to do that until we get everyone together. In that in that intermediate time, I have been trying to put out some new content, new types of shows. I have d- been doing some unearthing arcana, where we went over the magic tattoos and the summoning spells from a couple weeks ago. 
and we actually did a little bit of one shot, a little PvP one on one, uh, DM and player, where we ran Sean through a gladiator run of sorts. Hopefully, to pick that up again because that's a little bit more easier and self-contained to run uh, through video chat one on one. But today, we're not doing that. I actually have a guest on joining us. He's uh, calling in through Facebook uh, Messenger. Uh, it's kind of cool, and he is a dungeon master himself, right? Yes, I am. Dungeon Master himself. <clears throat> he is a the manager of a game store, and he has a knowledge of playing D&D for the past, how many years? 15 years. 15 years. So, I've got about like four to five years experience, so this guy's got a little bit more than me, and we'll see where this conversation goes. So, as you have heard him chime in, let me welcome uh, our Dungeon Master, Benjamin to the show welcome man welcome benjamin nichols of heart of the game that is awesome i love this story it's really fun it's really welcoming when you come in too we got some video games and then you got like some D and then in the way back you have the tables lined up which is really cool yeah we we, we just try to keep our, our store very diverse we want to make sure that everybody feels welcome and can hopefully find something that appeals to their individual geekiness awesome so let's just start off with how did you end up uh, how did you end up coming to the game store and becoming a manager was that along the journey of D&D or was that just kind of a it's kind of just a job opportunity opened itself up um i have actually before that worked selling auto parts for the 10 years prior and i'd known andy uh the store owner for about 7 yeah about 7 of those years we met through playing D&D at another store, and I finally, he had an opening for someone to come and work for him just hourly up front at the register, and I, you know, I said, hey, I'm interested, I want to try something new, I, let's do this, and I went working for him, and um, apparently I've done a very good job, because he asked me to become the general manager of the front of the building, uh, taking care of a lot of the day-to-day, a lot of the product ordering, ordering uh, and personnel uh, stuff. And it's been going well ever since. I'm on my, starting my third year with the company. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Now, when you first started at the store, was D&D a prominent figure there? Or was it primarily a video game store? Because when you walk in, there's a large range of PlayStation 2, Xbox, Wii, and a whole bunch of like, it's kind of like what, what Oogie Games was. It kind of feels like, and I, and it really brings me home and I kind of, I miss that. So was it initially just a game store and then it branched into like tabletop gaming and Warhammer or was it all just kind of opened up when you were there, when you started? Um, when I had started, we, our main focus has been video games from the start, uh, mainly because video games bring in such a diverse audience of people. I mean, nowadays, almost everybody in some capacity plays you know, whether they want to go back and get their classic Nintendo or Saga. And then you have, you know, all the modern stuff. Like, it's just become such a such a staple entertainment um, for people. And then we've had a pretty strong D&D community store uh, playing every Wednesday for the last... Since we opened, I will say. And it just keeps continuing to grow so much stronger. And then our other heavier games would be Magic the Gathering and uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Or other, or those would be our top three uh, crowds who come in to play games. We started doing Warhammer right when I got hired because I had a lot of experience in it um, in the past. That was part of what got my resume. <laughs> All right. Um, 
I'm involved more because it's something that I had not so much played as much of as I would have liked, but I, I have a lot of experience doing models and painting miniatures and so that was really just good timing that Andy had wanted to uh, bring that into the store as well and have the opportunity for me to come work for him. Awesome. Awesome. It's good to hear that. So I, uh, I just kind of thought of this on the fly a little bit as far as a way. So I do another show called Vinyl Divers. And when I host that, when I try and kind of spur a little mm-hmm. bit of a think on your feet type of a moment, like top five albums. So I kind of want to throw this at you in the moment okay. before we jump into some D and D is that, uh, is is that a how do you want to do this mug? I'm just going to ask. Oh, that's absolutely fine. Oh. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, real quick, I want to ask you: Is if I put you on the spot, if you pictured yourself as mm-hmm. a D and D character itself, which class, subclass, and I'll say race are you going as? If you want a multi class, go oh. for it. But what do you want to do? If <laughs> if you are a character, what are you doing? I am most definitely. A half elf ranger. Um, I would have to say the beastmaster subclass because I have a very strong affinity for animals. Okay. Most likely, I would have a wolf or some kind of dog for my companion, and I would not multi-class. I, I would stick to it being um, me and my companion just on the road, exploring exciting new places, and hopefully not being eaten by a monster. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I like that. I like that. Very cool. Uh, Beastmaster Ranger, what, what's the weapon of choice? Is that you going to go longbow or shortbow, or you just you hone in on one? Um, from my LARP experience, it's always been I've always been like up close combat, like sword and shield or two swords. Real more than likely, I would probably be using a bow, probably a oh. shortbow. Okay. Um, being in the Stuff like that, you're not going to have the the line of sight to you know hit somebody from seven eight hundred feet away. All right. <laughs> so short bow, you know, thinking about transporting it and just my general experience with archery, I, th- I think that would be my way to go. Okay, I like that. Very nice. Very very nice. Now that's, that's a little. I like that way to kind of uh, let's characterize you. Let's let's kind of give a little something extra of how to bring you into the game. Now. Getting into D&D, how did you first start playing D&D? Was it introduced to you by an older sibling or a parent? Or was this, were you, were you like me where you kind of just slowly crept into it and then finally you're just like, forget it, let's just do this? How, how was that? How did you jump into this? So I come from a pretty non-geeky family, actually. Um, my brothers, I'm the oldest of five siblings. I have four brothers and a sister. and we all did sports, things like that, scouting. Like we, we didn't, um, we didn't have, we didn't do a lot of video gaming growing up. Okay. And I discovered it my senior year of high school. A friend of mine had brought in some of his books, and I saw him take them out of his backpack. And I'm like, oh, what is this? So I pick up the player's handbook and I'm flipping through it. And I'm like, this is so cool. Like I don't even like. I was trying to wrap my mind about it because I played a lot of board games and stuff. I didn't understand the concept of, of an RPG in that you can tell your own stories and, and, and live out, you know, whatever you create. He said, Oh yeah, here, I'll teach you how to play. So he taught me how to play. Uh, it was me and Ryan. I was a dwarf fighter and Ryan was a, was an elf rogue. Now real quick. What time, when, when about, uh, 
is this in D and D? Is because this is three point five. Yep, three point five. Okay. And I played twice. Then I went and bought all three of the core books. And started my own campaign at home. Very with my nice. Siblings. Very cool. Now, did I, you... I just I immediately dove in? <laughs> now, did your siblings uh, reciprocate it and like it as well, or were they like, "No, I'm not playing this"? Two of them jumped right in with me, which was pretty good. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, we had uh, we were all pretty interested in like Tolkien and stuff. Like we used to, you know, we read a lot, uh, and especially my younger brother Brian really into all the uh, into his writings and stuff. So for him, it was really easy to transition to. And same thing with my brother uh, John. He's always been very into Tolkien and. Uh, a lot of like more classic writings. All right, yeah. So I, I am starting to notice that more, and it's kind of surprises me that I didn't come into this uh, sooner. Is that I look back and every time I visit my mom, I'm just like, "Don't blame me for being nerdy." You like, I grew up watching Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, yeah. uh, Dragonheart was one of my favorite movies as a kid. Yes, like I just saw it on the, on uh, with Sean Connery as the dragon. Like it was just on the other on Netflix the other day. I was like, "Oh my god!" Like. Looking at this now, and now when I watch it, it's just like, well, there's your rogue, there's your fighter. Oh, that's what the, that's the wizard doing this. Yep. This is, and even when there's no bard, there's still someone doing the charming. That's the bard convincer, the face of the party. And you're just like, oh, that's what that's doing. Yep. And you're just like, oh, I, I this I was made for this. This was what I was supposed to do. Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh, Dragonheart. I know I have that somewhere in my house. I haven't watched it in probably 10 years, but I have it. <laughs> so w- when you started jumping into uh, 3.5, how was it different compared to jumping, starting a campaign now? Because you went off, you bought all the books, you started a homebrew campaign. Uh, did you ever break into an actual campaign with other players or friends that weren't just your family at home in, in the beginning? Um, In the beginning, no. No, I probably I played with my my siblings for I think our first campaign went for maybe a year and a half. Oh wow! And I didn't start playing with other people until I got to college. All right, that was when I I, I, I kind of met. Um, I I did not realized how many people were into this kind of stuff. So when I got to college, that was quite eye opening and really cool. Um, now, when you're going into college, was it still three point five, or was the transition of four yeah. taking place yet? No, fourth edition had, uh, was still, I'd say, two years away okay. from when I when I went. Um, so I got to enjoy three point five for quite a while, which was good because I think as far as like if you just stick with the core rulebooks of it, it's a really good system. It's not too overwhelming. It was when you added in like the two hundred other books <laughs> that had come out around it is when it gets a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Was there a staple or something from 3.5 that you re- that really kind of spoke or that you still try to kind of carry through? Because I know there's been some changes. Is there anything from 3.5 you're like, I will always use this random rule or this one mechanic that you just – it's something that's kind of like you like? Is there anything that's specific that's carried through that really kind of uh, held to you personally? Not that I can think of. I think I still – some of the some of the terminology, like I'll still call uh, frequently. I I miss, uh, s- like I, I get skills the wrong name because I was used to like I learned them as certain names. Like there was uh, athletics wasn't a skill in three point five. It was broken down into 
like subcategories such as you know swimming, climbing, jumping, tumble checks, and stuff like that. Then yep, tumble, yep. So there's there's more skills in three point five. So sometimes like I'll just miss, I'll use the wrong names. Oh, um, like I might right. say spot search because that was actually uh, we didn't have investigation yet. Okay. So there was like there's spot search. And there's another one. I cannot think of it off the top of my head now. But it was just, like, everything was much more broader. There was much more variety, uh, more uh, specifics. All right. That. Now, now, moving from 3.5, when did you end up playing 4th edition, or did you move into uh, Pathfinder, or did were you one of the people that kind of really held on, and then when 5e came out, you're like, I'll make this transition here? Uh, no, I was one of the people that was so excited about 4th. I had... I actually have every hardcover, most all of the softcover and adventures that came out for it. I had the subscription service, so I had access to what would be what is now D and D Beyond. Uh, they would update you every time a new book came out. You just paid a monthly fee, and they would update your program with all the new feats, spells, class features. Uh, there's a monster builder, and it was all part of the package. It was. I, I jumped into fourth with both feet running, oh. and I loved it. I personally, like, there's a lot of things, like, I didn't necessarily play, I think, the way that if you were to read through the rule book, I didn't always use a grid. I didn't always, but what I enjoyed so much about it was that even at a low level, every character really came into their own immediately. There was no confusion that this guy's a fighter, and this guy is a paladin or in this guy's a ranger there was no like i'm just going to attack with this weapon everybody had very unique abilities out of the gate and that was one of the things that i really really enjoyed and the same went for the monsters too there was no confusion like like a fight with kobolds didn't feel like a fight with goblins it didn't feel like a fight with hobgoblins or some other similar kind of like low-level horde monster because each one had its own very unique mechanics associated with it. So I, as I never played fourth or anything before five E, and the few the few sessions I've ended up being able to home uh, run with horde monsters like goblins and kobolds, as you said, I did actually at a home se- homebrew session downstairs, and I have noticed that feeling where it ends up becoming a these are just some monsters in the setting because kobolds would be here. Mm-hmm. I have been noticing. I have noticed that. So to know that five, uh, four kind of broke that down a little bit further. I do remember reading that four also gave. Uh, was it bloodied statuses? Yes, that mechanic I still use today. I I, I was uh, uh, I was interested in that. That that's actually kind of cool. I like the idea that you know the dragon. The minute he gets below this health, his tactics are going to change. And he's not just going to fight in this way. He's going to do it mm-hmm. differently, and he unlocks other abilities at uh, at a lower health. Yeah, what was so neat about it was that it gave it gave a like an actual mechanical cue to the players that they have done fifty percent of the damage to the creature. So they knew that they were either winning the fight or they could gauge based on their own abilities they were losing the fight very mm-hmm. quickly. And I really enjoyed how there'd be reactions associated with it. Not just for the monsters, but the players as well. For instance, I know Dragonborn had an ability where they would get an increase to their attack. 
if they became bloodied, like as if they got beaten down enough that they would just like dig deep and, and get this adrenaline rush, so to speak. And then like a dragon would immediately use its breath weapon as a way to like kind of, okay, you guys think you're winning. You think you've got this figured out. Now his breath weapon triggers as a reaction. So when you think it's, you're safe, it's like, all right, he's got another three of us to go before he goes again. And then all of a sudden he hits you. And it just made this kind of dynamic uh, for the more tactical play uh, that I really enjoyed. And I still use that kind of today. Like, I'll, I'll give my monsters reactions occasionally when they become bloodied in my own campaigns as a way to break the, in a sense, like just the, the pattern of initiative. Because when you know the initiative order, you can kind of plan around it a little bit more. But when you could do things to surprise people and throw them off their game... I think it just adds a little bit more flavor to the to the encounters and the story that is being played out. Oh, I like that. I really like that. And that's like some, some actual really good advice for DMs that are listening out there, too. Because I, from the first session or two that I ran, I didn't kind of get that idea of layer actions. I actually ran a, one of the episodes that had ran uh, on this stream is... I was forgetting to do the beholder's eye reactions each turn or the eye cone every turn. Like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. So to know that, remember these tactics, especially because it's what helps throw everyone off their game. I really like that. And I will say too, like with, with some of the more, um, the lair actions, I think were just such a great thing to add on. And I've used them in more like ways that aren't necessarily layers. Like I used them for environmental effects and I've used them for, uh, in a sense, a timer, where it's, okay, the bridge is collapsing, so it initiative count 20, I'm going to take this much away from the bridge each turn that they're on, that they have to either get across, or get a, you know, escape from, or... I like that. I, I definitely, uh, I, I will say, from streams and other uh, sessions I've watched, when there's a layer action happening, and like the tunnel's caving in, there's definitely a, an urgency, and as a DM, I know that can be difficult to try and keep maintaining uh, a non-biased action. Like, the tunnel's collapsing. I'm not being biased that this is happening. But now I'm yeah. also maintaining a creature that you now have to try either fight that may try to keep you in. But also, I'm trying to tell you, you need to get out of here. It's a lot to juggle. Yep. As a DM, how would you handle that? Um, A lot of what I will do is... I use uh, I, I use a lot of dice like behind my screen, and I use them as timers. So I know that the tunnel is going to completely collapse in X amount of rounds. So okay. if it's five rounds away, I just have a D6, and then I just flip it every turn. And a lot of times what I'll even do, and this was something I picked up from another DM, who uh, he put some stuff on YouTube, uh, his channel is Drunkens and Dragons. He does a lot of like fun videos and he does a lot of like publishing of his own like hacks and rules and a lot of really good artwork too. He'll actually put that timer in front of the players. So then they can see that they have uh, three rounds or four rounds as a way to remind them that there is that sense of urgency. And every time it's ticking down, it just is like, Oh no, we've only got two more turns before this is going to get really bad guys. It's just that way. And I really enjoy that because it's, Sometimes hard to when you're when you're playing a game taking turns to get that sense of urgency. So I feel like any time that you can put it in front of them and show them, even if it's something as simple as a die, like so, you know, it it just it helps because it's a reminder to everybody at the table that in 
two or three turns, those stairs are going to collapse and we're not going to have anything to stand on anymore. <laughs> Nice. I, I never actually thought of putting the dice on the table in front of them. I think it's a great idea, and it, and it helps create that tension that, like, see, it's not just me. There's a dice saying that this is happening. Don't get mad at me. You're being told that this is happening, and it's in front of them. I like that. I like that. Uh, I want to move on. So you were getting into tabletop gaming, and you got into D&D, and I saw that you ended up, <clears throat> or I heard that you ended up talking about how you also played Warhammer. Now, this is uh, primarily Dungeons and Dragons, but I kind of personally do associate all the tabletop RPG games kind of all grouped into one. Like, there's a clear distinction between a board game, like a tabletop board game, but then there's an RPG. And to me, I feel Warhammer and all of those kind of all encompass this, especially from the painting aspect and also as kind of the... Uh, I am, I know, like, some are more like a war-based strategy where you're commanding a fleet, but then others are, you know, D&D is that PvP one, that solo run. Um, what's your experience with uh, Warhammer and, like, mass-scale gaming on that end? How did you get into that? Because I didn't ever want to, and now I want to. <laughs> and it's, I'm like, oh, man, like, where did this come from? So for you, I mean, they're they're both two different games with a lot of similarities. So an interesting thing is that uh, the creators of D&D, they had their start in Wargaming. And what it had become was they wanted to kind of mess around and tweak it into something different. So they actually took their Wargaming rules and reduced them down to where everybody was controlling one character. Mm-hmm. For me, I had actually gone into a hobby store and I saw that they had this display of all these Warhammer kits. And the one that caught my eye was called the uh, the Battle for Skull Pass. The Battle for Skull Pass, I believe, was the name of it. it. Had an army of dwarves and an army of goblins. It had all these great miniatures in it. They were very easy to assemble because a lot of the games workshop kits, when they do like starter or beginner kits, they keep them very simplified. So that way, it just kind of eases you into the hobby, where you could pick up this box, you can with minimal tools or experience, put your army together and start painting or start playing right away. And that was the thing that really got me into it. It was just cause like, I really loved dwarves in, in fantasy, stuff like that. Um, and you know, the goblins in Warhammer are very quirky and a little insane. Like, you know, they eat mushrooms and then they go crazy or it enhances their magic. And there's all these random tables associated with them where they might just stop and stare into space and I, I find that really enjoyable. But, yeah, that was really the thing that got me into it. it. was just this big box, had everything I needed to play, and then I just got... Unfortunately, when I get into a hobby, I get really deep into it very quickly. <laughs> so next thing I knew, I had two armies for that, and then I had started uh, playing the futuristic version, which was Warhammer 40,000. Mostly, for me, what really drew me in was, like, the, the really detail in the models and painting. Um, and that's something I've always been, like, I've always uh, had fun with this painting. And so being able to do that in a different way in, you know, with gaming um, has worked out well. And the nice thing with fantasy models is that if you're using them for wargaming or D&D, I mean, you get so much mileage out of them. There's so many different things that you can use them for. So that's, I will say, that's one thing that was kind of perked my interest is the painting aspect. I got into this uh, hobby just kind of to play, and then I was like, oh, wait, I can paint my character, and then... 
it went from one unpainted mini to I have a whole box of them with more nice, on the table. Nice. <laughs> it's just like oh, it's just it's just everywhere, and it's like oh, girlfriend won't let me get any more until the ones are currently painted. <laughs> I'll tell you, like yep. it was, it was so hard. I think I came out to your shop one of the last days before the quarantine started really kicking in, and I'm sitting there around mm-hmm. going, "What paints do I need? Because I can't buy any more minis. I'm gonna go into quarantine. I just need to detail paint everything now." Yeah, like now, now all my minis are getting uh, OS are all they're all getting effect paintings and object source lighting, and they're all getting like fine details. And it's like, man, I really stepped it up. Very awesome to hear. Um, now, with Warhammer, uh, I know some people kind of get curious: is uh, what kind of armies do you focus on? And when you decide, I'm going to use this one over this one, is there a certain style of play that you come as a player, or how does that work? Because I've never played Warhammer. I- I've been watching some of the videos to kind of learn about some of the armies. I've learned about the Deepkin, um, the Stormcast, uh, and the dark elves for 40k i was looking at mm-hmm. so I, i'm just yeah. i'm i'm just trying to kind of get a feel for what kind of army i would like to uh, assuming i'm uh i want to get these massive armies to play with <laughs> what uh where do you come mm-hmm. from where do you what do you choose and decide so whenever i play i just go for the ones that i pick the armies that are most visually appealing to me and it also turns out to always be the same strategy which is Swarm your opponent with lots of guys and get as close to them as possible. So I play orcs, I play ogres, and those are my main two. Um, I play I, my orc army for Warhammer Forty Thousand is massive. It's not. There's definitely guys that have more stuff than I do. That's that's for sure. But I have this giant. Uh, figure. He's like two feet tall. He's like one of their giant war machines, and I have hordes of troops and all sorts of like wacky inventions. And the thing that I love the most about the orcs is that they scavenge a lot of their stuff, so I can buy kits from other factions and I can modify them and make them into orc vehicles. Oh, okay. And it fits the aesthetic of the entire army. So it gets to be like it gets to be really creative when you play orcs, and it doesn't have to look great because it's all. Hey, I just picked up this door. They hammered it onto something. All right. Now we lift on it, so you can you can intentionally be a little sloppy, and it still fits the overall aesthetic of what you're going for. So I I watched a couple of the orcs uh, videos for Age of Scimitar, uh, Scimitar, Sigmar, Age of Sigmar, Sigmar. Yep. and I see that there is the Bone Splitters and then Iron Jaws. Mm-hmm. Which one do you prefer? Do you or do they mash up both? I don't know. I'm just curious because I it's one of the few ones that I'm like, oh, I do know the orcs. Um, I I prefer the Iron Jaws actually. I like the aesthetic of the models because mm-hmm. it's they took orcs and they they took them from what they used to be really no armor and you know giant horde kind of thing. And with the Iron Jaws, they're a little bit more elite because like these are orcs that are that have gotten a bit bigger through combat and fighting, because that's what makes an orc bigger in the Warhammer world, is winning. And they have a lot of armor, which is really neat to see, because it's very... Um, I have a good word to describe it. Aesthetically? It's just very stylized. Yeah, it's very aesthetically pleasing. And they have 
like a nice uniformity to them, but at the same time, like the orcs don't have typical uniforms. But you can really see that these guys all belong together, and they you know have this really nice like fighting force to them. And then they gave them some really big like boars that are two or three times bigger than they used to be, called Gorgrontas. So they have like these giant mounts that they get to ride, and then their leader gets to ride. Uh, if you if you get that kit, it's it's a massive dragon. It's not like this sleek and uh, like like thin dragon. This thing is thick and gigantic and muscular. And it's just it's just super cool because, you know, he stands right on the top of it and the dragon's cut like his two front hands down on the ground and big giant fist. That right there sounds so daunting to paint, but like so much fun. Like like that would be messy and just like that. Just, like I just get excited thinking about painting something big and detailed and yeah. kind of like a dragon with like someone on top of it. Like that could be fun and creative. Uh, no, I know how like the orcs aren't. They're unified, but they're not uni- like they're unified, but they're not all uh, like uniformed. So, do you have like a certain painting theme or scale? Like, is there a certain uh, like if I see your army, are you kind of all mismatched paints, or are you kind of try to keep it organized? curious so i kind of have within my army i have like i'll pick different uh tribe schemes so like my army is like a bunch of small tribes unified in one uh they're all pointed in the same direction yeah it's the best way to describe it okay. so like they, they you definitely can tell that they belong together but then you can see like subdivisions within them whether it be like they have different glyphs or some of them i do face paints on because they're from a certain clan and so I like that. So I really am uh, interested to explore more of the Warhammer side of this gaming community because it seems it's very interesting to see where in D&D and uh, like Pathfinder, you get a solo character and you really hone out and you really get to know this is who my character is. This is them. But now on the other side, you end up in like Warhammer gaming, you end up putting a whole personality into a whole fleet. Uh, is there any challenges that you know you would? Yeah, is there any challenge that you to overcome of getting that personality within this fleet that you end up facing? Yeah, when you paint an army of that has a lot of like base infantry, when you're on your like fiftieth orc, um, it gets a little monotonous. You're just like, all right, orc. Yep. So you have to just kind of overcome that. You you, know, you want to put in that same amount of of detail into each individual soldier. Because at a certain point, it's like, all right, I've painted, you know, because there's, there's, a, there's a good variety of head, arm, body options. So he's not like, it's very rare that you see two that are precisely the same. But at the same time, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm going to paint green skin on the 50th guy in a row today. Well, I, I meant actual, like, uh, apart from painting, I meant like actual, like, personality wise. Like, you put personality into an individual character in D&D. In Warhammer, it's kind of putting your personality into the fleet as a whole. Okay. Um, yeah, so, like, a lot of that for me, I would just say is just, like, kind of, like, your color schemes and, like, how do you, how are you going to pose your models and then how are you going to display them? Like, a lot of people will make these beautiful display boards and, like, so they'll come up with, like, a theme of, uh, you know, like, this is where my guys are from. This is, like, this is the world they're from. Is it a desert? Is it like this place of, of metal and 
machine? Is it uh, like the realm of Shias, like shadows and undead? So are they coming out of a graveyard? Even though they're despite, like they might be orcs, they get to live in this place where it's like pretty much run by necromancers. So you can you can kind of pick and like, um, and then like a lot of guys too. The thing is like. I've met some incredible sculptors. So what they'll do is they'll take uh, this this putty, we call it green stuff, and it's just a two-part um, putty, uh, blue and green. You mix it together, or blue and yellow, mix it together, mm-hmm. it turns green. So they'll sculpt like their own glyphs, their own heads, their own weapons, and uh, make very dynamic poses and changes to their guys. So like they'll really add a lot of uniqueness into uh, what they have, because generally in wargaming, the most... The thing you just have to worry about mostly is, is this character representing what I need him to represent? And then as, as long as, you know, your opponent can determine that that's what that, you know, like that orc boy is or that um, orc brute is or that space brain chaplain is, you can re- you really get a lot of freedom, um, which is probably one of the coolest things about it. And there's also uh, what we call what's called kit bashing, which is where you'll take one kit and you'll go through your extra parts and pieces and you'll integrate them into another. And it's just a very simple way to just add a little bit of flavor to what you have and a little uniqueness as opposed to building what's precisely out of the box. Interesting. All right, cool. Thank you. I mean, that, that right there alone, me personally, I'm sure there's listeners out there that do play Warhammer that are like, well, duh, but <laughs> I'm sure there's listeners like me that are like, I kind of want to get into this, but like, it's daunting to say, all right, I have this many people I'm going to have to paint. I have to make them mine and not just be generic. Like, I do see mm-hmm. it is cool. I'll say uh, I've been looking at Blood Bowl figures, and I'm like, man, I just want to get a set of Blood Bowl figures, paint them up blue and blue and red, and be the Bills. <laughs> like, that's where I want it to be. <laughs> like, like, why don't I see more of that? Like, I think that's awesome. Like, that's so cool. Like, there's already football minis. Um. But I mean that's cool. I think thank you for that information on the Warhammer and the gaming and, and how you paint that and put that your own twist on it. I really appreciate it. And hopefully the listeners really appreciate too. Um I want to say so some of your experiences as a dungeon master now we're going to kind of tr- pull it back right to D&D. So as a dungeon master what let's let's start off with first off is uh what are some of the tr- biggest troubles you have either running a game or getting the campaign going not troubles in a bad thing like oh this player is an rping like we understand not every player wants to get into the character but like actual like either prepping or uh session wise what are some of the troubles that you have or that you kind of have to overcome so for me the hardest thing is coming up with that good bad guy because Generally speaking, D&D, for me, is about the fight of good versus evil. You know, heroes and villains. And where I struggle is coming up with, like, I need a bad guy that... It's not so much the mechanics. Like, you know, it's like, I could just give him hit points and a hit. Like, that stuff's easy. But I need to give him, like, a personality and a goal that is interesting. Like, I try I try to, like, you know... Like, I mean, when I start campaigns, or... You know, you can always fall back to very simple. This guy wants to take over the realm. Um, where this guy wants to open a portal to the the other realm because some dark god promised him absolute power. But I always like to try to come up with like sometimes quirky or you know just interesting villains. And that's where I actually spend 
the most of my time is in prepping for a game. Uh, the rest of it for me just comes pretty pretty easily, but that's because I do have a lot of experience um, with it. So it, it's pretty easy for me to figure out, okay, I've got three players, they're this level, so I know pretty well what they can handle based on their experience, how tactical they are in the game. Um, nice. Uh, now, now, what happens when you get the party that you know, they, they don't know what to do now. Do you do a lot of on the fly DMing of like, just like, I know a lot of D, a lot of dungeon mastering is, you know, 99% planning, 1% just letting the players do what they want. Like, that's what's going to happen. Like, you plan forever and then they're just like, we take your plans, we're going to throw it out the window and we're going to do this instead. I know that is a big thing. Now, do you, are you the dungeon master that has every option or has a plethora of plans laid out in case? Or are you the guy that's like, all right, cool. Let's figure out where this winding trail leads in the forest, and I'm going to improv it on the way, and hopefully we get there. How do you take on that? Um, so what a lot of times what I do is I always like to start all my sessions with a really strong hook if it's like something fresh, where they're just getting into an adventure. So I usually have a very strong idea of where they're going to be going. Mm-hmm. And I come up with um, an outline of what my expectation is of the session. And so I, ha- I always have an idea of what they could encounter, um, whether even if that's like going to be like they're going through the woods and I know that there's trolls in these woods. So it's like I always have something kind of in the back of my mind. I mean, not write it out, but I know that I generally have an idea of what monsters, adversaries or challenges could be in an area. All right. So that way I'm not often taken by total surprise. Um, I have many times had to improv where the game was going because I didn't know like what direction they were going to take it in, but I usually have an idea of what they're going to encounter. All right, cool. Well, th- thank you. Uh, I-, I know that is a big, I know that is one of the biggest uh, constant, I don't want to say battles, but one of the biggest encounters between player and dungeon master is the unexpected player that's like, oh, the guards are there? Yeah, you got to sneak around them. Well, I'm just going to go sneak attack and just kill them. You probably don't want to do that. Well, I rolled a natural 20. Okay, well, <laughs> now we're going in this path, and uh, now we're doing a, a guard chase or something. I know that's always a big, uh, not not challenge, but kind of almost a precaution. It's kind of like, give the characters freedom, but is it real freedom? Like, are you really going to let them do it? Uh, I want to ask you, one of the one things I would kind of want to kind of uh, do before we close up is, as a dungeon master or, or as a player... Maybe it's different for both sides is what is one of your favorite monsters to either run as or fight? It could be as typical as you, it could be as cliche as you want as a beholder or gelatinous cube. I, everyone has their preferences, but I know like as a player, you're like, Oh, I want to fight the dragon. But then as a DM, you're like, I don't want to run as a dragon. That's too easy. Maybe I want to be this instead. So what, uh, give me your side. What would you prefer? And for each. Hmm. I, will, I I think currently my favorite thing to fight as a player um, has to be a Medusa. Ooh. Part of that is the last time I faced off against one, uh, it was very bad. I My character was very reckless, very brash, and I was like, oh man, yeah, I'm tough. I can, you know stare down i can i can land this final blow and i rolled like a two on my saving throw instantly petrified 
So part of it's a revenge thing, and the other part is <laughs> okay. Yep. <laughs> Thankfully, the party was able to save it, like to stop the creature and uh, put an end to its reign. But the other part of it is too is that they're such a neat. Like, so we, you know, Greek mythology, Medusa is a proper noun. Like, that was actually the name of specific Gorgon. But in mm-hmm. D&D, they're, there's, they're a neat monster because they're humanoids. So they can operate weapons. They can learn to cast spells. They can, they can do anything that a player can do conceivably. But they also have that added bonus of the fact that they have this very snake-like quality. They have the ability to petrify you instantly. Um, no, what I love about Real quick, I just correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I personally have never uh, seen the Medusa in the D and D. I've seen minis of. I'm pretty sure, but I thought they were just considered just Gorgon. So is a Medusa like the most stereo, like the cliche what you picture as Medusa? That's just a creature. Yes, Sna- big yep. giant snake tail, woman body, hair of snakes, right? Um, a lot of it's a, so like I've I've seen them done with the snake tail, like uh, like the the Yanti. The uh, the snake people. Then, like I've also seen them many times where they, they have a humanoid figure and they have snake hair and like fangs and like that reptile. Uh, okay. The face. Okay. Uh, what, what I really what I really love most about them is that because they have that ability to, um, you know, they have a moderate intelligence as far as you know the mechanics of the game go. There's so much personality you can put into them, so like they can be such a great villain. And a good example of it is. The Princes of the Apocalypse adventure module published by Wizards of the Coast has a Medusa. Uh, he's one of the bad guys, and it's actually a, it's a man as a Medusa, and he represents the Earth Cult, and he's a really cool villain. Has a lot of personality. The artwork for him is pretty fantastic, and it's just a neat twist on what we you know like picture. It's like oh yeah, I've seen you know like. Sinbad and those Ray Harryhausen films, uh, Clash of the Titans. Like you have like a vision of what a Medusa is, but it, you can really be transported into so many different ways. The other thing is too, is there's no reason to believe that you couldn't have more than one Medusa in an encounter, such as like a family or a tribe of these things. Oh, so now you are in a room where you can't look at anybody. Oh, potentially. So there's there's a lot of interesting things with that monster. So that's one that I, I really enjoy. And then my second favorite is uh, giant spiders. I, I I don't know what it is. Every campaign I've ever ran, I somehow incorporate giant spiders into. Oh, oh hell no! Yeah, they're horrifying. I'm gonna tell you. So uh, you'll you'll get a kick out of this. So one of our so uh, the first you can actually find it. Uh, it, it's on iTunes, I'm pretty sure somewhere, but it is no longer on our on our website at the bicbp-radio.com. Cheap plug. Uh, we the first D and D esque game we tried to run was called Dumb Men and Dragons. Okay, and it was just it was just I want to do this, and sure it happens or something. But our second time that we were like, all right, that wasn't D and D. Let's actually try to play it. Is that uh, it, it, we didn't record it, but it was just us all kind of hanging out talking. And I was like, oh, I want to be a wizard. And I had like, what, 10 health points, I think, maybe, if I was lucky. And uh, we, we did the whole character build, and I thought I had spells. And I didn't realize the idea of flashbag and not having a high AC. I didn't understand how dangerous it was as a wizard. 
And we all end the party of four splits up individually. And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. I'll be a wizard. I'll go in this direction. And at, like the rogue went this way. The fighter went this way. The bard went. Th- we all split up. And I ended up finding a cavern door and I almost got killed by two spiders at level one. Yep. <laughs> like, I shot fire. I shot a firebolt and I was like, I'm going to run. <laughs> like I was, I booked yeah. it. To, giant spiders are terrifying. Like I hate yes, spiders in general. The scene during yep. Lord of the Rings, I still currently, I can't watch the scene with in Lord of the Rings. Harry Potter, I can kind of uh, put that um, close. I can I can kind of uh, behind the veil, kind of like, oh well, it's a good yeah. spider, and it's not like gonna stab you with its stinger. <laughs> like, yeah, in, like that was such a neat idea with Shelob was to have that stinger just come down because it's like. It's scary because it's, like, it's something so massive, yet so stealthy. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, like that right there. Like, completely, you have to worry about a spider. Like, if now let's think about this in an encounter scenario. A party or not, you got to worry about a spider. you got to worry about a giant creature with, let's say, what what hit points it would be. I'd say, like, 40-ish? Yeah. 40 hit points. It's, it's creepy and stealthy as... as all as all like you know you can yep. you, you gotta find it you're in its yes. terrain so you got layer actions happening and not only is it a giant spider that is gonna pin you down and can start webbing you it's now gonna has a paralyzed attack like yes like that's that's not gonna be fun real life or not like dnd like i, I don't want to be even involved in that like i'll say that's one of the few traits as a player that will always carry through to my characters that like, I know that this is a game. And yet the minute they say like, Oh yeah, there's a haunted house there. Uh, you gotta go in there. And it's like, I don't want my player to go in there. Why not? I don't know what's in there. Why? Right. Maybe, a spider, maybe a spider or a ghost or something. I don't want to go in there. It's like, this is D&D. This is where you should be able to do that. And I'm just like, Oh no, I know how bad they are. It's like, no, I've seen this movie. It doesn't end well for anybody. Exactly. It's like, Oh, speaking of giant spider, I just remembered this amazing trap from a module I have. It's absolutely terrifying. So you have a trap door. Oh no. I already, I already don't like this. And it drops you into a pit that's about 15 feet deep. In the pit is an alcove where a giant <laughs> reasonably intelligent spider just sits and waits. So when you <sighs> fall through the the spider crawls out onto the ceiling closes the door and uses its webs to seal the door. So now you were in this pit in total darkness with a giant spider who just closed the door with his webs. So now your teammates are above. They have to open the door again by cutting through all those webs while you are in the dark fighting this thing by yourself. It is the most terrifying low-level trap I've ever read my entire life. Yeah, dude, uh, spider, giant spiders. That sounds terrifying, and I really don't want to be put in that situation. <laughs> Let's be honest. If if I was, I probably would end up. Uh, I don't know what you want to. You want to come back and face the Medusa for revenge. I'm thinking if I'm going to be put into that, I would definitely have to come as a as a wizard again and see if I can see how the wizard would go against the spider round two. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh, that's that was a good one. I'll tell you. So that's awesome. Thank you for thank you for calling in and talking. I mean, I know that. Uh, um, let me just go through the list. Let me see if there's anything else we didn't touch on that I wanted to ask. Um, 
You know what? Actually, one thing before we wrap up, because you guys uh, do host Adventure Leagues, Adventure League at the store, right? Yes, we do. All right. So because you guys do host Adventure League, uh, have you ever DM'd for it? Um, actually, I have many times. I started. Uh, I was one of the people who signed up to be part of the D and D playtest. So I was uh, play te- playing D and D five E about a year before it went live, which really? was really cool. That is mm-hmm. awesome. Now, was that with D and D next? Yes. Yep, and I actually ran a campaign that uh, the finale was my players had to lay siege to their home city because the whole campaign was them taking it back. I have to, I'll dig up the pictures. I'll have to send them to you because they're they're really cool because I got all my Warhammer figures out and yeah, I have uh, I've I've been gaming for a long time, so I have a lot of stuff. I would um, love to. I would love to. Uh, if you want to send me those, I would love to be able to post them on the Instagram and see maybe yeah, if absolutely. Greg would share them through the Facebook page so people can see. Because I, I appreciate mi- pictures of minis and I love sharing them for people. So if you got some cool ones, I would love to push them out for everyone else. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, uh, adventure. So then Five E actually came out. The first product was the starter box. Um, it debuted at Gen Con in 2014. And I had learned about the Adventures League, so I started running Adventures League things at my local store in Jamestown, uh, Gamers Haven, and then I started running games at the comic book store as well, Chautauqua Comics, and working with DMs there, and I eventually became, while the program existed, I was one of the first wave of local coordinators for the Adventures League. So it was a volunteer program through Wizards of the Coast, where you would help stores set up their games... You'd recruit DMs, you'd help recruit players, and had done all that. And then 2015, I went to my first Gen Con, where I DMed for something like 40 hours, so I could get a badge in in a hotel room, and I got to DM two epics that weekend. That was just insanely fun, when you're in a room with like a few hundred people, and everybody is, we're all playing the same we're all playing for the same goal, and we're all running different aspects of this giant adventure. One of the epics was the city was under siege by um, elemental cultists, and you had like these giant steam-powered war machine. You had guys working underground. You had people fighting on airships that had gotten like docked into each other because the battle like had taken place up in the sky. It was just it was insane and exciting and so much fun and then the other epic the part of it i got to run was uh the players had to infiltrate a drow stronghold and work their way through that and well one group was distracting a bunch of demons up on the surface in an arena so they had to do their best to fight as gladiators survive as long as possible while another group was in the underdark doing the same thing but at a much higher level and wow. we were all, yeah, it, it was it was madness. It was so so much fun, and that was epics two and three. And so they have come such a long way from them, and like how much better they have gotten as far as like you know being able to run them and to make them more dynamic. And what's really fun about the Adventures League is that when you do when you plan a module when it comes out, you have a month where you could actually report your results to to Watsy 
and that will actually have an effect on things like the epics and future adventures. Really? Based on how many people did it this way, or how many people failed spectacularly, <laughs> or how many groups broke the pact in the forest. Um, which is actually why the dragon Vorgatrax uh, was able to take over the city of Phandalin. Really? Yeah, because people broke a deal that protected it, and so many of them did at various cons and stores and reported in, just because that's how the adventure played out for them. Um, That was what broke the protective barrier over, uh, not Phandalin, I'm sorry, Flan. Um, that Vorkatrax was able to take it over. And so I believe it was the fourth epic, and I actually got to play in that one, um, where you get to retake the city. So that is cool, and I will say that is, brings in one big aspect that I love of Wizards, that they're constantly taking fan feedback. I have never seen... I'm sure they're out there, but me personally, I've never subscribed or purchased or been invested in content or material from a company so much as of right now that takes in such fan feedback from the adventure from i didn't know about this so from this to unearth arcana to they just are constantly i see jeremy crawford all day is taking tweets and recommendations and answering people on twitter like oh yeah jeremy is so cool like i've had the the privilege of meeting him he actually signed my player's handbook for me you know Uh, what he's a really cool guy I know ne- I haven't wanted to get someone's autograph on like a book or something in forever, but you know, that just sparked like, why don't <laughs> I get like, could you picture having like, like that, like, he- like I would love, oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> yep, that's so cool. <laughs> yep. Jeremy and Mike Merles. Uh, oh, he's he awesome. Signed my player's handbook and Sean Merwin signed my acquisitions incorporated book for me. He was the, the the lead on that project that came out in the last year. That is so cool. That is actually really really neat. I uh, will definitely have to jump in and do some book reviews for sure with you there. Oh, and I'm very excited to do that. I, be, I see. I I'm all about this. I'm like, listen, we're in quarantine mode right now. Uh, we can't get all the sessions together. This is when we're going to put out every other type of content of topic. Like we're going deep into everything else now. <laughs> excellent, excellent um, to hear. But, you know, Ben, thank you so much for calling in and giving your experience on Adventure League, some Warhammer gaming, some actual D&D history of how you got into it. Um, uh, before we sign off, just one last thing I do want to get is I like to always get, uh, for my other shows, I always kind of like to get an idea or a recommendation from my guest come calling in, whether it be like music or something. And you can see that this isn't a music podcast. It's a D&D show and not tabletop gaming. So let's say... Um, before we sign off and we let you do your whole promos, if you want to give out, let's do three recommendations. Give out a recommendation for your favorite uh, class that you want players to try out, even if it's outside of the norm. Like if you're like, you know what, if you haven't played this, try this. You may find it fun. Give a recommendation for um, a new uh, a new module that they're running. So whether it's like, go pick up uh, Strahd or Temple of Elemental Evil. And then let's say if you're going to give a recommendation out to an older past edition uh, module, because if you, because you, if you, if you have such a collection, I'm assuming you, there are certain books from fourth, fourth edition and 3.5 that you're like, Oh, I love that. 
So let's give some recommendations out to people that they should check out during this time that if they can reach, uh, I know that there's a lot of ex- extensive resources that you could purchase books and get PDFs of the older editions now too. So what would you want? What, what would you tell someone coming into this, whether they're new or not? And you're like, listen, if you're new, try this. If you're not new and you've already played the basic, uh, what is it? The minds of Fandel. Like if, if you've already no, played, if you already, if you already play, if you already played Minds of Fandel, what's the next book that you would recommend for someone to play? And then let's say they already played through that. What's some reading material or like an older book to pull inspiration from? What would you give to new DMs and new players? All right, let's see. So I'm going to try to go back to the beginning here. Um, for class, yeah. Um, yep. a lot of people will look at this as super super basic. But I think everybody should at least at some point try and play the champion fighter because mechanically it's very, very simple. But what you can do with that is let your creativity flow in other aspects of your character. So for instance, my highest level adventurer's league character, he's currently level 17. Um, this is the same character that was turned to stone by Medusa. <laughs> He's also been killed by a god, <laughs> but thankfully I had a group that had a wish spell and they were able to bring him back. Real quick, hold wait, a- I'm going to stop you right there. Wish spells never go correctly. So what was <laughs> what what was the, what was the what was the bot? What was the uh, the uh, other end to the wish spell? Was there any repercussions to bring you back? Not yet, anyway. Okay. All right. There Move was on. a chance that the spell was permanently lost for the person. So they actually had to take a risk on their own that they could never cast it again. So I'm very thankful that the other group members I played with uh, appreciated me enough to <laughs> to resurrect me. And my character is a champion fighter with the entertainer background for arena fighter. And my theme for the character is that he is a pro wrestler. I like it. <laughs> I like it. And I just thought that would be just so much fun to to be and champion I felt like worked because it's like it's not so focused on mechanics and stuff like that. You just you know, it's just like when I kinda started with you just play D and just make a character and jump in. I'm not worried about managing maneuver dice or anything like that. It's just like I know I crit on an eighteen to twenty, or maybe it's nineteen. I can't remember if it up. Well it, it um it's I c I don't know if it's the 17th or 18th, the capstone for the champion is it goes to 18 to, cause then you get 18, 20, 18, 19, 20. You get, you have a, you have a one in 10 chance to crit or is it one in, yeah. is it one in 10 chance? I think so. But, but it's an 18 to 20 if you, if you follow through. So the champion fighter, in my opinion, is one of those, if you're okay with being a fighter for that many, like that devotion, like it is worth it. Yeah, def- in my opinion, it definitely, definitely is. So I always, I always like tell people, it's like, you know, pick one of those four, what they consider the basic classes and, and try it out. See what you can come up with. See like what, you know, inspiration you can draw from it because um, they can be a lot of fun, even if they're not tactically or, uh, you know, as far as mechanics or the rules of the game go, they're not very necessarily complex, but it does it doesn't mean you can't have a lot of fun um, playing them. So that's why I'm always like a a big fan of, you know, encouraging people to try those. Hmm. All right. And then what was the next question? Next one was, uh, so 
the set, the next two are a little similar, but the, so the first one is which uh, current module would you recommend? Oh, yeah. and then the second one is a past one. Current module that I would recommend. Um. So Lost Mine of Delver is really, really good. Even like like I ran it. I've ran it think, three times for people. I I got to play in it when it first came out, which was really cool. So that's kind of my go-to. Like if you haven't played it, it's definitely a lot of fun. And if nothing else, there's some good maps in it. There's some great encounters. Uh, my complaint about it is that the the overall villain's a little weak. So you know, come up with ways to just incorporate him more into the game. Um, have him show up a few times in different ways and just let, let, let him be more involved. Because he is, unfortunately, you only get to encounter him as written one time, and that's at the, the finale. Um, and aside from that one, as far as like the books are concerned, I'd have to say my favorite so far has been Princes of the Apocalypse. Because um, it harkens back to a really classic module called the Temple of Elemental Evil, and it is a massive dungeon crawl, but it's very dynamic. It has some amazingly unique enemies, some really fun areas, some very challenging areas. Uh, when I actually got to play through that, we got to one of the uh, the leaders, and we just got the floor wiped with us. So we we backtracked, we headed out, and then through our, our text chat the whole week, we were like like talking about how like our characters are training. So we we, we were like imagining this like Rocky style montage of what each of us was doing, <laughs> so we could go back and hit this guy and beat him. Um, that was that was a really memorable moment from what I would say is, is a very it's a very strong adventure. Uh, it's not so challenging that somebody that use a new DM they could you know purchase that book and have a pretty easy time with it. And if nothing else, you have some amazing dungeon maps that you could steal for your own campaigns. Cause I, I do that a lot. I, I pick up things and I will just rob them blind and use them in some other place because the stuff is out there. Some people do some incredible work. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it as many times as I can. And I, and I recommend other people do too, because it's just, you know, you make a few edits, you take a room away, you add a new door, you add a secret passage to another level. Um, you you could do a lot of stuff with something that's already there and just you know, make it your own. But in, in, in me personally, like I'm a little bit when I I, I subscribe to uh, the the school of lazy DMing, which is where there's a lot of resources out there more so than ever before. So if, anytime you can take something that's already exist and, and, and just manipulate it to work for yourself. It's definitely a good way to go about things. Nice. Very nice. And then for a past module, I'm going to go with, and this is an advanced Dungeons and Dragons module. My, my go-to is the Isle of Dread. Um, it is in just a fantastic adventure where the players get this map of a giant island. It's got treasure and dinosaurs and uncharted territory to explore. 
and they get to go fill out a hex map adventure. So as they explore it, they have a map that's hexed off. So as they, they go to different places, they can fill it in themselves. There's a few dungeons in the on the island, and it's super, super fun because it, it takes, like, what, in my opinion, one of my favorite things about D&D is, is discovering new stuff. And, you know, when you find, like, something unusual or unique, and what's really cool about it is that because this island is, like, its location isn't very definitive in any campaign setting, but it's been around so long, there's a lot of things where people have, oh, yeah, I put it into my campaign doing this, or I put it into the Forgotten Realms here through these myths, and, and you, you know, just kind of discover it. Or in, in Eberron, you know, you might go through another plane and you end up here at the Isle of Dread. And you're trying to escape home. Uh, it's, for what it, you know, when it came out, I think it's like a 50-page module. It's it's not very long, but it's just absolutely brilliant, in my opinion. It's, it's just definitely one of my favorites of all time. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, I feel like I've heard of the Isle of Dread. Um I, I actually found recently a whole list of all bunch of old uh, AD&D PDFs. And I was like, oh, like these are so cool. Like to see how they were written. And I, I was trying to read through them to kind of get some inspiration of how to better structure my own campaigns for home and for the streams that we're going to be doing here. And I'm trying to like, you know, best way to get uh best way to study is to practice and read up on the material. There's no exactly. way to really get inside of the DM other than talking to them. So I'm like, well, next best thing is that I'm going to go read how it's all been done. Yeah. So I kind of took the initiative of saying like moving forward, I guess like I will be a player, but I'm going to always have to have that meta of, I already know how a lot of campaigns are running through. Like I've already read through a lot of, uh, uh, wrath of the, uh, tyranny of dragons. I've already read through a lot of straw. Like I already know a lot of it. And it's just like, as a player, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to be oblivious on perf on it like on purpose, but it's also still cool to see how they put all these mechanics available out there and to see how they've changed from the AD and D where it's very simple, very basic. Like you said, uh, a 50 pages to now that some of these books are what like tyranny of dragons was a two parter. They put together. That's what like four or 500 pages. Mm-hmm. It's like a huge, like giant compendium. It's like a Harry Potter book, the size of it. Yeah, Wait. now they usually come in at about 300, yeah. um, give or take, depending on if there's extra maps. Um, you know, it just depends on, like, you know, the overall content. But, yeah, generally, the hardcovers are around 300 right now. That's crazy. But, well, that's I guess that's how it goes when, you know, as the game becomes more in-depth, it becomes a little bit easier to, to implement. And with the popularity, you want to cater to everyone. But, mm-hmm. you know, Ben, thank you so much for calling in. Uh, giving your time right now to kind of talk some D and know a lot of people right now are they're going through a little withdrawal. You know, if they don't, if they're not able to play online or have a group that they already met when the quarantine was kind of happening and the self, the self kind of uh, di- social distancing was already happening. I know I saw some pictures. Uh, I'll tell you, I love Reddit for D and D posts. They're awesome. Reddit is just definitely where I'm at with it. And someone posted a picture of playing D and D with the local, neighbors and they're on the porch across the street and the and the dungeon master's on the one it's like man i wish i had that with my friends like i'm telling you if this lasts into the summer i'm gonna set it up where everyone shows up at like a parking lot and we're all just like okay keep keep far apart and just have dice ready and we're just gonna honor everyone's (laughs) roles i think 
Yeah. Um, but you know, I know a lot of people are having trouble right now with no, no games going on. And a lot of the, uh, Facebook groups are offering discord servers. And, uh, I know the conventions are going on currently today. It is Saturday, uh, April 25th and UBCon is currently running two games. Uh, did you join up for any of those or are you running? I'm not, um, this year. Mm Mm-hmm. And a lot of it just come to, like, time. Because, like, I'm still, you know, you know, the shop isn't open, open. Right? You know, I've still been working on a lot of projects. Um, and that, and I, they're doing most of the stuff through Roll20, which is something that I don't have enough experience with yet to feel comfortable running a game for, uh, you know, people like that I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, where if it's, like, my friends, it's like, you know what? They could, like, I could, I feel like I, you know, I don't have to be as good at it because, like, they're, they're going to be more patient with me because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're going to lower the bar of what I can bring through Roll Twenty and stuff like that. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like, I like I signed up for one of the games and I'm waiting to get an email whether or not a player drops out. But it's like, oh, well, let me know if you're going to import your character through Roll Twenty and Discord. And I'm just like, oh no, I hope I hope I'm not the noob and. <laughs> I hope I'm not, I hope I'm not that person in the group that's like, sorry guys, I'm the one messing up. But I have until five o'clock today to, to make sure everything's set if I get picked to put it, be okay. put in the game. So who knows? Excellent to hear. But, uh, before, before we say goodbye, uh, and, and stop the call, I just want to let everyone know, uh, let everyone know where can they get you on social media? I don't know if you have like a special page for, for D and D or for painting. I know you've been putting out some videos. Uh, is there any Facebook groups that you're a part of that you want to really push out to let people know where they can go to, you know, contact and get some information and resources? Um, let's see. So I've been doing uh, weekly. I I I, I kind of like called them like fireside chats, where I just kind of log on and just talk about a topic with D and D for the last three weeks. I've been doing that through a Facebook page I manage called D and D Players of Western New York, and it's all encompassing. We you know, talk about Pathfinder, talk about D&D, talk about Esper Genesis, which is a 5th edition sci-fi role-playing game. Um, you know, just it, it's not geared towards any specific style of play, such as like, with the Adventurers League groups. It's very all-encompassing, and it's just a place, you know, like you I started it as a way to just meet more players who are into D&D. And, you know, people come in, they post, hey, I'm looking for a group, or somebody says, hey, here's the latest Unearthed Arcana article, or hey, check out this cool thing on the DMs Guild. So you can, you know, hit like on our stores page, Heart of the Game, and I put up my videos every Tuesday evening. Um, I go live 5 o'clock every Tuesday through D&D Players of Western New York. Um, my Instagram is Dungeon Master Benjamin. <laughs> And I don't have any other personal pages set up yet, but it is possible that will happen in the future. All right. Well, guys, uh, listeners, table rollers, I don't know what we're going to have to have have the followers be called yet. Talk to Greg. We'll figure out if they're going to get a name. But uh, head on over. If you're in the Western Western New York area, head over to the Facebook groups, like them, follow them. And, I mean, if you're looking for a new game, if you're looking for any advice or questions, I guess just join in and ask some questions. Uh, I'm a part of both the groups. I've been uh, I've been active on D and D Western of Western New York a little bit more than Adventures League just because I personally kind of have that feeling of not shy but I'm not like I, like I still feel like I'm not I'm still kind of noobish 
So I'm like, I don't want to, I don't want to come off as stupid, I guess, when I say I want to ask a question. Uh, so I, I'll do a direct message either to you or I've been reaching out to, uh, JJ <laughs> for a couple of questions here and yeah, there. JJ's a very, very excellent guy. Uh, I know I'm going to try and reach out to him, I think, next to have him see if he'd want to come on and talk. So who knows? Oh, it'd be cool. It'd be kind of cool. But no, Ben, thank you so much for, uh, calling in today and hopefully we'll get you back on. And uh, we'll explore some more topics within D&D. I mean, if you like talking about it and we're looking to talk about it, maybe we could do it together then. I would absolutely love to. It's been an absolute pleasure to be part of this today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, thank, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so listeners, head on over to those pages. Check them out. Check out your local game stores uh, right now. I'm pretty sure majority of them are all closed. I don't know any that are doing drop-offs or online ordering only. If you're able to, I don't know if some shops are opening up. I don't know if maybe Heart of the Game has any way that you're able to get gift cards now to hold over. Are they doing anything like that? So we've been doing, um, with the latest Magic set, we have been doing online orders. We're going to be doing deliveries for that and some shipping. Um we also have been doing some curbside pickups by appointment only, along with Iron Buffalo is set up to sell online. Um, I know Dragon Snack is doing curbside pickups, as well as Harlequin Hobby. Awesome. Awesome. So if you guys are in Western Western New York, head on over to those game shops. Hit them out. You, we, this is the time that we really, as players, this is the time we support our local game stores. Um, that's, that's the best thing I can recommend because mm-hmm. that's going to make sure that we know that, oh, somebody's interested in something, you know, we'll do our best to answer it. Uh, I will say for all the shops, we're all dealing with supply issues because a lot of, you know, things have been shut down and closed, but, you know, shoot messages because you never know what store might, it's like, oh yeah, I have that on my shelf when I ordered it new three years ago and I just still happen to have one. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something, even if it's obscure, you're looking for. Don't be shy about reaching out to your local stores. Awesome. So I'll just ask kind of real quick, uh, not to mean to put you on the spot. If you know it, you know it. Uh, so Wizard just dropped the uh, Young Red Dragon and the Young Gold Dragon. Do you guys got minis of those? I unfortunately do not. <sighs> Any excessive minis you're looking to unload that you know of, you're no. like... We have a lot of these. Does someone want to buy them? Anything you want to tell people that you know you have? Well, we have we have a, an okay selection of the Nulzer pre. Uh, they're ready to go out of the package for painting minis. Um, I do have some full paint sets as well, uh, geared towards D and D, where they have a really good variety of colors. Um, still in the store. So, like, if you want to get into painting, you know, shoot us a message. I'll show you what paint kits I have. They even come with a couple of brushes. Typically, and I know each of them even has uh, mini. If you get the smaller kit, has Minsk and Boo from the Forgotten Realms. Um, and the larger Ooh. kit, I believe, has an owl bear within it. I'm really looking for that Minsk and Boo mini. So I may, depending on the colors, when I need to re up, I may hit you up for that one. Uh, that kit is what I would call like your your base set. So it's, it's your primary colors uh, black, white, a few metallics. And it has really everything you need to just get started painting. Now, is that just want to it? Um, it's a great beginner set. It's called the Adventurer's Paint Set. Now, is that running? What is that in the twenty dollars range, or is that on the upper end? Also, it's like twenty five dollars. Twenty five dollars. Don't quote us, guys. Like for like for real. Like we're just kind of pulling. Like I'm just kind of putting them on the spot. This wasn't planned. 
Uh, it was just one of those like, any ways to put, any way to push hard the game right now, I'm trying to do so. If you're looking to paint and you're in the Buffalo region, uh, go to Facebook, follow the heart of the game, reach out, shoot Ben a message. I'm assuming the message is going to come to you if they message the game yep. store. It'll be, yep, it'll be me or one of the guys. Or if you just want to put, hey, I'm looking for Ben, they'll make sure to tell me if they see it first and um, I'll be the one you're dealing with. Awesome. Awesome. So there you go, guys. Head on over, check out their pages, follow them, give them support. And if you're interested and want to, try to support them where you can. If not, this is the time that the minute the social distancing is over, this is the time that we go to support them local game stores. I know a lot of things are going digital and brick and mortars are slowly, I feel, fading on their way out. But in the gaming community, this is something that we don't want to do overline. This is something we want to do in person and we want to keep those places in business because a lot of them, a lot of these adventure leagues that they host, uh, I went to, um, heart of, not heart of the game, bet you guys, um, Western New York gaming in Hamburg. Yeah. I went there and I, I didn't know they were really cool and friendly, but like, I didn't know like they do like a $5 charge for adventure league and a lot of the money that they bring in and put on these events for the players I'm sure some of the stores keep a little bit to help maintain itself, but it really is back for the players and the dungeon masters. And it is just for the community themselves. So this is the time that you want to go out and support them where you can, when you can, we want to make sure that those, these events and abilities, these events and functions are able to be held when COVID-19 starts to hopefully come to an end. Mm-hmm. But thank you, Ben, for calling in. Uh, We'll see you next time, okay? Yeah, thank you so much. You have a wonderful day, okay? You too. Bye-bye.